Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. We're in the middle, and I do say the middle. I'm not sure exactly how far past the maybe the midpoint, but we're we're uh, we're doing a series called Boys and Girls, Boys and Girls, and it's on marriage and relationships and navigating. Uh, this whole this whole thing called relationship or marriage. And last last week we looked at engagement and we looked at uh, how to find the right person and uh, the one. And uh, so I, I really encourage you to go go to the podcast and get that. Go to our app. You'll find podcasts, our website. And, and then the week before we really kicked it off with starting with the end in mind. Uh, I talked about the fact that uh, the most important decision that you'll make, the biggest investment that you're going to make in life is not your house. It's not your car that you're going to buy. And yet we wouldn't rush off and buy a house without research. We wouldn't uh, invest in the share market without research. We wouldn't invest in a car without researching it. Uh, And yet how much research or how much thought and prayer and everything else do people put into the biggest investment, the person you're going to marry? And they're going to be the the grandmother, granddad of your grandchildren, mother, father of your children. You know, it's amazing uh, what what the outcome of that and the ramifications are in your life because of the person that you marry. So starting with the end in mind uh, was the first one that we we talked about that one in in Boys and Girls number one. And uh, then Boys and Girls number two was uh, about dating and looking for the right criteria and and some wisdom out of of, uh, the Word of God. Everything starts with wisdom. The Bible says in the, be- the beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. So, you know, you got to get wisdom. you got to get God's wisdom on where we're headed. And, and this morning, uh, boys and girls number three, I- I've-, I've ripped off a title from uh, Stephen Stills, you know, Crosby, Nash, uh, Stills, Nash, and Young. I don't know if you remember them from way back in the 60s. Probably not. But, uh, you know, if you can't be... With the one you love, love the one you with. Da 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 da. Great song. Get it. Go to Spotify. Download it. You know you'll love it if you've never heard that before. But what a great line! If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. And you might say, well, that's a secular title. That's a secular song. But I believe that it has. Some biblical truth in it, some great biblical truth. In fact, uh, I believe that three of the most powerful words ever spoken are the words, I love you. Those are very powerful words. When you speak those to the person that hopefully is going to be your lifelong partner, that, that, that should be very, very powerful. I love you. Of course, God spoke that into your life. He loves you so much that he gave his only son and died for you, the whole world, in fact. I love you are three of the most powerful words ever spoken. Three of the most powerful words ever written are these in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, in in the beginning, love never fails. Now, I was toying with this and really putting a lot of thought and prayer into this last night. And I got this. I hope it comes up. But when we fall in love, when we fall in love, we say, I love you. When we learn to love, and this is well past the initial stage of I love you, when we learn to love, we pray, God, love never fails. And so there's a time when the honeymoon wears off. I hate to tell you that. 
uh, the average time for a marriage where the kind of the honeymoon, the beginning bit, the discovery bit, before you settle into the lifelong bit, uh, which is actually the good bit, but not uh, doesn't feel as good sometimes as the good bit. It's, it's usually around three years, that's what research shows, before the, 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 the glamour of it all starts to wear off and you think, gee, you know, this isn't what I thought it was. And, uh, you know, the two of us becoming one flesh, that's a miracle. That's water into wine. That's why God chose the first miracle uh, to be a wedding and to turn water into wine because he says that he'll take two selfish people. Yes, you were very selfish. And uh, I was very selfish, and Gail was very selfish. He'll take two very selfish people, even though they don't think they're selfish, and say, now you two selfish people, this is not just give and take. You become one flesh. That, my friends, is a miracle. And this is not just honeymoon stuff. It's not just looking into the eyes of that person and, oh, you know, I love you. You hang up first. No, you hang up. And, you know, all of that. After three years, uh, it's probably not happening quite like that. If it is, well, that's, that's fantastic, but you need to grow up. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, so, you know, when I think about that, love never fails is something that will last a lifetime. In fact, your marriage won't last a lifetime if you're not depending upon God. God, who is love, Christ in that person being the hope of glory, even when the luster has wore off, the glory never ceases to shine because God's in that person working on them when you're not. He's working on them when you're probably getting frustrated with them. God is actually at work in them, and to doubt that is to doubt God and God's love. It's to basically say, well, I'm stuck with what I got, and, and, and deny that God's power is enough to bring something amazing to pass. Now, when Gail and I were first married, I gave her the greatest gift imaginable, my total devotion to be her helper, to help her become what I wanted. What more could she possibly want than to become what I want? I couldn't believe it, but she couldn't see what I was offering her. Without realizing it, I was trying to change the person that I looked into her eyes. I love you, baby. I love you so much. I was trying to change her into somebody that I could love. Now, this is basically where the tension comes in marriage. God doesn't bring someone into your life to make them what you want. God's purpose is to make them what he wants, to make them like him, to make us all different because God's got a different purpose. He's made us all different, personalities, strengths, uh, uh, male, female, looks, gifts. And trying to make somebody into what we imagine and desire is, quite frankly, a form of idolatry. God makes us and molds us, not us. God is the potter. You're simply the clay. And your role in relationship is to encourage and to pray and to love the one that you're with and to lead by example, not to change them so they can meet your desires and your expectations. So if you want major stress in marriages, and this is what I've discovered over my 30 years of pastoring, certainly, and also uh, my 32 or three years of actually being a husband, is, is, is that tension comes because we're, we're not happy with what we got. We discover they're not me, and we try to make them into me. 
because I'm a, a person that takes risk and I'm very decisive and I don't, you know, if I go in to uh, shop for something, I pretty well know what I'm looking for. I, I get it in my sights, I shoot, I bag the kill, I'm out of there. You know, whether it's McDonald's orderings, it's called fast food for a reason, you know? I go up, by the time I've, it's taken too long even to get through the queue. This is not fast food. This is taking way too long. But by the time I get up to order, I don't want to be standing there trying to make up my mind. Now, my wife is quite different. She doesn't make decisions very fast. We go to fast food, and we discover slow decision-making. I'm very decisive, and it used to just annoy me because I wanted her to be like me in that area. If she could just be like me, boy, would we get along. Boy, you know, if she could just uh, take a risk and you're going to step out instead of asking 50 million questions, wow, we, would, we wouldn't miss all these great investments. But we wouldn't have all the great losses either that accumulated because risk taker here didn't, didn't quite take the time to evaluate whether we should invest in 2008, you know, or not. <laughs> and, uh, you know, all of these things add up to Gail is so different from me, and I am so different from Gail, and the person that you're married to is so different probably from you, and you are so different from them, but the key is this, that the we is better than the me every time. We are different for a purpose. God made us different for a purpose so that we complement together. We become so something that's amazing together. If we were all the same, then there'd be no point in getting married. We'd be like uh, reproducing like amoebas or something. You know, they just divide in half. So I was told in biology in grade seven. But, uh, you know, if you, want to ch if you want stress, try to change that person. My advice to you is this. Love people and leave them alone. Just leave them alone. Stop trying to make them into what you want and let God fashion them and bring out the best flavor out of them because he made them. He's got the design. He's got the purpose. Leave them alone, for goodness sakes. Now, you can walk out with that one, and it's worth the price of your admission here for sure. You say, well, give me some scriptures to back that. Leave them alone up. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13. It's the great love chapter. You know, it's quoted at most weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. You know, it never thinks, you know, it, it's a great scripture, and it is. It's a powerful one, but, boy, is it challenging. In verse 4, it says this, 1 Corinthians 4, love is patient. <laughs> love is kind. Love does not envy, does not boast. It is not proud. And I love verse 5. It does not dishonor others. It is not, and here it is, self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. You cannot look at that person and genuinely love them if you're seeking self out of that relationship. That's called selfishness, by the way. It's not called love. So we try to change them into someone that we would love if they would just change. Instead of giving God room to move and let them be who they are, because God loves variety, when you try and change them, here's what you're saying. You're saying there's something wrong with you. You're not enough. Whereas true love is when you accept someone for who they are, not for who you want them 
to be. First, Second Timothy, I'll give you another scripture. There's a lot of scriptures on this that I'm not going to give you, but Second Timothy 1.9 says this. It says, He who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. My advice to you is this. Give them the grace that God gave you. Don't, don't, don't want God's grace so that, you know, you have the grace to change and that God doesn't judge you based on where you're at right now or your past and all, all of your mistakes. None, none of us want that. We don't want judgment from God when it comes to us, but we don't extend grace when it comes to somebody else, especially the person that we say we love and that we're married to. You see, uh, we're, we're always greater together because we got strengths that are far greater if we would just get together, work together. My, my wife is so different than me, honestly, in so many ways. Uh, she just loves chocolate. Like, I like chocolate. Don't get me wrong. Like, chocolate's cool. You know, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm up for some lints or for a chocolate sundae or, you know, a chocolate cake. You know, some of the people here make amazing cakes. Like, uh, but, but, but my wife really loves chocolate. I mean, Really, really loves chocolate. I'll come home and it's like, uh, you know, there's rappers there and she's uh, watching television or something. It's like, and it's like I don't even have to ask. And, and she'll hide the chocolate. She hides it like she's like a squirrel. You know, squirrels they hide their their acorns. Like, and so I'm like, I know there's chocolate in the house, and I'm really I feel like a chocolate tonight. It's Friday night. I just feel like a chocolate. Do we have any chocolate? Quiet. It's like, okay, I know there's chocolate, and uh, I'm going to sniff it out. I'm going to go through the pantry. Like, I'm going to go through every container, and, and, you know, somewhere usually underneath there, because she knows I don't, don't like to bend down and look for it, uh, way in the back behind, like, flour and quinoa or something like that is chocolate. <laughs> she hides the chocolate on me. We are so different. It's just terrible. Being married to somebody that loves chocolate so much, except for when you want chocolate and she's generous. She knows how to push my buttons, too, I might add. And uh, so when the chocolate comes out, I think, okay, what do you want? This is too easy. Why are you offering me chocolate? Like, why is this that you are so gracious? This is Christmas or something? Like, the chocolate comes out. It's like, okay, what do you want? And So she loves chocolate. There's a lot of differences that, you know, we laugh about, but there's also a lot of differences, honestly, that we've had 32 years of working through and realizing love never fails instead of just I love you. I've had to go back to the love never fails and and get on my knees and pray, God, you know, she's never going to be like me. She's never, ever going to be like me. I put her on that potter's wheel. I tried my best to fashion another me. And it's like, God, yeah, God's like, yes, you, you've, you've been into idol worship. Uh, you're, you're way more hung up on yourself than, you know, is, is normal. Uh, so she's never going to be decisive, risk taker, uh, you know, not love chocolate as much as you do and, you know, all of those things. But look at the gifts that she does have. Look at the qualities that she does have. And I, I want to encourage you, if you're looking into the eyes of somebody or you looked into the eyes of somebody and you declared, I love you, then begin to look back into their eyes and look at their life, not despising, not being annoyed, but look at them and think about the good things that are in them that you could bring out if you would just try. 
If you would just acknowledge that and just try to bring it out, you would find that there are amazing things that are placed in that person. And love never fails. You're not going to get the short end of the stick. You may not get exactly what you want and you know from that person by choking them to death and everything, but you're going to get something from God that's amazing, and that's why the two shall become one flesh. And so your spouse may never change, but you can Ah, but I don't want to change. Probably they don't either. But you're the change agent in their life. In a way, you're the one, honestly, you know, you're there for them to encourage them to be like Jesus by leading by example and being like Jesus, not by demanding it out of them. You don't get anywhere by demand. You know, sometimes marriage is like two bankrupts. You know, to imagine this, like two businesses, <laughs> You know, and and and, the, and and two people they're in partnership in this business, and you know, one of them's put fifty percent of the capital up, and the other one put fifty percent of the capital up, and you know, one of them's put this time in and their gifting, and the other one's putting their time in and their gifting. Maybe some, maybe one of the partners is gifted in sales and, and marketing. They're going to go out and sell the product. The other partner is really gifted in manufacturing, and you know, they got all the ideas and everything. They, they put it together, and they become a partner, and then everything starts to go bad. The economy's down, and you know, things get rough, and then one partner looks at the other partner and says, well, if you would just put up more money, this business would work. And the other partner looks at them and go, well, if you had just put more into it, and if you had put more money into it, this business would work. There's only one problem. They're both bankrupt. I don't have it to give. Well, I don't either. But you need to give it. Well, you need to give it. And so back and forth and back and forth, but they're both bankrupt. They got nothing to give of themselves. And that's why the love never fails needs to become a revelation that when I don't have it to give, I can't demand it that they give it because they're probably bankrupt too. We both have to go to God. We've got to say, God, fill my spirit up because I'm bankrupt. I'm empty, but how blessed are you? You've got the power of the Holy Spirit to fill you every day to give you what you just don't have and what you can't demand out of that other person. This is why we follow Jesus, and we're so thankful that Jesus didn't leave us orphans but went away and he gave us another helper, not to help us make that person like us, but to help us and so that we may uh, have a great, great marriage. And so uh, I, I, I believe this, you know, if you just... If you just would start to love that person as Christ loves you and realize that you're greater together than you are separately and that you can together start to appreciate that person instead of fault-finding and realize that it's not a fault that they're different from you. That's the way that God made them. It's not their fault that they're different. That's, that's, that's a blessing. And so they, they may never change, but, but you can change. And so it's important here that, uh, that we genuinely ask God to open our eyes to the good things that are in our spouse. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Start to chew on that one. If you're looking for some scriptures, you know, I, I do devotionals. If you're looking for something to, to do a devotional for with scriptures when it comes to your marriage, you won't go much, much better than this. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. 
So she may not be, you know, this isn't talking about Gail. This is a hypothetical person. But she may not be a great cook, but she's a great mother. Gail is both of those. She may not be a great listener, but, but incredibly generous. He, he may not be a, a great listener, but is incredibly generous. Start to appreciate God for the generosity side of things then. He may not be a, a great handyman, but he's a great dad. Wow, you've got somebody there that you can work with, somebody to be thankful for. But the temptation is when we don't want get what we want, we go shopping in our imagination for a better deal. So we start to compare with other people or other marriages. Uh, you know, I was uh, probably about a year, two years ago, I looked across the fence, and the neighbor lady, Sandy, and um, she's got this beautiful roses and garden and everything. And then uh, she was out front mowing her lawn. And uh, before you jump to some wrong conclusion, Sandy's in her 70s. <laughs> okay. You know, she's a lovely lady, but, you know, I wasn't looking over like David at Bathsheba or something. You know, this is like, hi, Sandy. <laughs> and, uh, but I was looking across the fence, and I was admiring Sandy. Uh, I was admiring what Sandy did with her gardening and, and the fact that she does edging and she does mowing. And then I got this thought, wow, women love to do outdoor gardening and chores. Wow. I've never seen Gail outdoors. So, so why am I the only one that cleans the swimming pool? <laughs> you know, other, other women are out there doing the stuff. Mowing's not just a man's job. We live in a day where quality. You know, it's not for me to go pull the weeds and spray the weeds with Roundup when I've got a perfectly good wife here. <laughs> S- if, if Sandy could do it. So I came back in and said, yeah, I noticed. <laughs> I noticed Sandy out there mowing and doing edging and, you know, and her husband was washing his car and he's doing some stuff too. And, you know, I, I noticed Sandy does this and Sandy does that, uh, you know, like uh, kind of hint, hint. Uh, it, it didn't, didn't go. It did. I tried to plant the seed, but the seed bounced off the soil and uh, the seed never went anywhere. It didn't take root at all. In fact, it got, uh, not only did it got rejected, but the seed came back like a stone from David's slingshot, hit Goliath, and sunk into my skull. And I've never, ever brought that up again, that women like to do chores outside. You know, if you focus on what's annoying to you, you're only going to get more annoyed. You just got to appreciate what you've got. And so there's two things here. You are either fighting with your spouse or you're, or, or you're fighting for your spouse. To fight with your spouse, here's how you fight with your spouse. Focus on their imperfections. See see every fault that they have and just focus on that. Get annoyed by it. Get really annoyed. You'll fight. You'll fight with them. Seeing them as the enemy. See it. You know, if they become your enemy, that, that's really, you, you'll, fight, you'll fight with them. See them as a person that you're not fulfilled and happy. They're, they're the person that's stopping you from truly being happy in life. If you want to focus on that, you're not going to be happy. You're going to fight a lot. And when we define a person by their worst self, we pick on their faults and we see only the bad, we're defining them by their worst self, and we go against what God says, love never fails. 1 Corinthians 13, again, verse 5, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. 
And here's the big one. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, I did discover this about Gail. One of her greatest attributes is she had, and most women's greatest attributes is they got amazing memories, guys. They don't, they don't forget a lot. You know, she could, I can't tell you a lot about our dating time and, you know, the wedding and how long it took, how long we were engaged, how many dates went out, all, all of that. But if you ask her, she will give you blow-by-blow details. She'll probably tell you it was 16 seconds past the hour, you know, that our eyes met. And, you know, and, and it's amazing the details that she comes up with. But one of the other things is she has a great detailed memory when it comes to my mistakes. <laughs> oh, she, some of you guys are going, ow. But she's, she's growing. She's, she's coming through it. She's coming through it. I, I got to say this bit because otherwise we're going to have a really, really good discussion in the car after coming home. Uh, so, so, you know, she loves me so much that she never, ever brings up anything I've done wrong ever. She could because she's got this amazing memory. But out of love for me, she never brings it up. She just always is kind and everything else when it comes to that. But what kind of person keeps track of someone's faults? <laughs> Put an ad in the paper. Help wanted. Job description. Fault finder. A person needed to keep a record of my mistakes. Must be able to recall and remind me of my faults past, present, and, and even the stuff I haven't done yet. Must have excellent record-keeping skills. Must have, uh, and this is a big pl plus, a bonus, if you really want this job of fault finder, if you have a photographic memory, you've got the job. Uh, but you know, to love someone, I've said it before, it's not to define them by their worst self or their faults. If you do that, you'll be fighting with that person continually. The second thing is you can fight for your spouse. How do you fight for your spouse? Well, start with what's wrong with you. See, the reason you have problems in your relationship is probably because you have problems. Every marriage has problems because every marriage has people. <laughs> it's as simple as that. We all have problems. We just have to decide, are we going to fight in this marriage or are we going to fight for it? The spouse is not your enemy. So how do you fight for your marriage? I believe it starts on your knees before God. Praying for the one you said you wanted to be one with. Asking God to change you and remembering your responsibilities rather than your rights. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.